This is Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Maudlin-Jackson, where we interrogate racial narratives in our place, space, and time of Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O. Good morning, Richmond, and happy 2020. We've got some great things coming to you this year on Race Capital. And today we bring you a very special episode featuring three people shaking things up in the former capital of the Confederacy. Kahinde Wiley disrupted the Confederate narrative when he crafted his Rumors of War statue. It's now a fixture on Arthur Ashe Boulevard, and it memorializes a black man in bronze. One of his muses was Najee Wilson, who visited Richmond for the statue's unveiling in December. And today we have a guest host, Jasmine Leeward, who spoke with Najee at Candela Gallery last month. Attention to them. Um, 
but it's history right in front of you, you know? And it's important to engage with it, um, but I feel like maybe the people who live right in its proximity, maybe they don't engage with it. Maybe they do. Mm. I don't know. But there's something new for them to engage yes. with, not too far away, which Beautiful. is really nice. We're really excited. Um, so thank you. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about kind of what led you to this this moment of even connecting with Kehinde to, to be um, the structure in history now? Yeah, of course. So I'll give you guys a little bit of background about me. Um, you got a mic, so project. Uh, so it's, it's like recording, so just project it. Okay, yes, for sure. Um, so I'll tell you guys a little bit about me. When I moved to New York initially in 2011, I weighed around 230 pounds. Right now I weigh 175 pounds. So in from the time that I moved to New York to the time that we're at now, I've done a lot of work, soul searching, focused on running nine miles a day, nine to five miles a day, yoga, biking. So I really took myself from one place into another, struggling with depression, body dysmorphia. There were a number of issues that were troubling me and it was hard to kind of cope with moving to a new city, adjusting to that, and then also trying to establish myself as a designer. I studied at the Savannah College of Art and Design, interior design and architecture, and when I moved to New York, I was hell-bent on finding a design job, which I did. Um, I worked at a number of different design firms, very small, but then ended up finding a job with a wallpaper company, and I was doing product design. So I was designing wallpaper for interiors. Um, the company is called Calico Wallpaper. I no longer work with them, and I left them in 2016, but the original collections that I designed, there were four core collections. I designed those, and then subsequently another four collections before I left, so it's like eight collections within the time that I was there. And those were coming out twice a year, and doing trade shows. It was a lot of work and it was very stressful. Um, and so it got me to feeling like I'm not being respected by the people that I work for, I'm not being respected by the industry, and I just wanted something more. So at that point, I decided I was gonna leave that company and just work for myself freelance and I just took a step out on faith and I took that step on myself and I gave that time to myself. So in 2016, I began working freelance with a couple of clients. One client was in Brooklyn and another client was in the Upper East Side and I worked with them and in that time I just you know, focused on me and focused on them. Just two clients, really small and it was a great time for me to just take that step back and do the soul searching I needed to. I got deep within a yoga practice. I can now do fingertip push-ups, so I'm in a very new place now. Um, but after getting to this place of feeling comfortable in my own skin, I decided what, like, what could I do? How could I feed someone else in the same way that I've been fed? And I remember during my time at SCAD, working with fine art muses in drawing classes and remembering the strength that they had. I was always so moved by it. They had this ability to walk into a room like this, strip, and totally command the space. It's such a powerful exercise for the individual doing it, and then also for the artists who are engaging with the muse. 
this type of collaboration for me is so interesting and you know you are enriching yourself and then enriching someone else so that's why I've been making my rounds at these schools around New York and working with different artists as much as I can it's just fulfilled me so much um, but I worked for about a year and a half doing that type of work along with freelancing and working on my own personal projects. I'm an artist as well. So creatively, it was an amazing time to just fuel my own inspirations. And towards the um, end of 2016, going into 2017, I remember seeing some images from Kehinde Wiley's um, retrospective show that he had at the Brooklyn Museum. And I actually live in Crown Heights down the block from the Brooklyn Museum. So it had a different feeling to be able to walk to the museum on a Saturday, walk in and then see an image of myself or an image like me on the wall. I can't even explain to you how profound that feeling was for me in the aspects of his work, the Timberland boots that he uses or the wife beater that the sitter is wearing it it evokes a feeling of someone that I know, you know, people that I know, myself even. And so I thought, gosh, I should maybe try to be in touch with him somehow. If I'm already working with artists, then why not? So Instagram is an amazing tool. I'm sure most of you in here have Instagram pages. Um, and for me, Instagram turned into this archive for not only the life that I live, but also the work that I've done. And so a lot of the work that I've done with artists was featured on Instagram. So for me, it only seemed right to just reach out to him. And Kehinde is such a down-to-earth person. He's so easy to talk to. And this is what I thought going into it. And when I actually got to meet him, it was totally true. Um, I only sent him one message. And in that message, I simply said, hi, my name is Najee Wilson. I'm a fine art muse. I have much experience. Perhaps we could collaborate. And all he said was yes, <laughs> which still to this day gives me chills every time I think of it. Um, and he said a little bit more to me, he was like, yes, I will be out of town for a few weeks, but I would love to talk to you when I get back to New York. And the out of town for a few weeks was him going to reveal the portrait that he did of President Obama at the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery. So in that moment of me seeing him on stage with former President Obama, I was filled with such reverence for not only him, but the craft and his ability to change the narrative of how we see ourselves and how we see each other. Um, I think everybody can agree that President Obama is probably one of the best that we've ever had. And to see him portrayed with such dignity is something that you can't pay for it, you know what I mean? It, there's no price for that. So it's an amazing thing that he, Obama, thought as much to contact someone like Kehinde to help communicate who he is and his image to the world because art makes the invisible visible and it makes people remember. It establishes history of history. So everything that um, Kehinde does in his work, it's, it's truly Thank you for sharing that. And that was, um, I'm, I'm not going to personally slide into Kehinde's 
DMs, but I'm glad it worked out for you. I'm really glad. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit more about um, what it was like to walk? Was this your first time on Monument Avenue? My first time. Okay, so I would love to hear kind of what what you were feeling, what was going through your head when you were um, uh, looking up at those statues. And I know you're from Charleston, um, so if like there are any experiences or like any kind of uh, you know, parallels or markers or, or uh, how you bring that Southern heritage with you here. Okay, so being from Charleston, South Carolina, I definitely understand the significance um, of the Confederacy, of the Civil War, and everything that is affected around it. Um, being from South Carolina, South Carolina was the place that was home to the first shots. You know, the first state to have seceded. So I understand it. I am aware of it. Even at a young age, being surrounded with images from history, you know, you go to the Battery in Charleston and you can see those same cannons that sent those fateful, fateful shots across the harbor. Um, I, just seeing everything, it, it filled me with a bit of pain, but also hope in the sense that I know that we have the ability to change the world that we live in. Art has the ability to change hearts and minds, and seeing rumors of war arrive in its now permanent home, I think it's gonna be great. Like everyone here, everyone that I've met today, and I've only been here for a few hours, <laughs> um, but everyone that I've met today is so excited, and there's such great energy behind it, and when you really look at the gesture, like feel that power, feel that strength. It's like I'm looking to you, to the public, to the people, to really create a change, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, one of the things that was really um, uh, moving for me was, uh, I was speaking a little bit earlier about how um, a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion about what it means for uh, this statue, for first of all, the Confederates uh, to be very historic, have a very strong story. And um, up until like a few weeks ago, I did not know the name of the man on, on Kehinde's statue. And a lot of people have had conversations about like, you know, what does that mean? What power does that hold? And um, yeah, I would love to kind of hear your feedback. Um, as an artist, as a person who is creating history right now, um, how you feel about like the the conversation of like <laughs> what you've done with your life and what the rest of your I, I don't even know what to call them like counterparts like peers, like, uh, peers, peers on Monument Avenue. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what what it, what does that feel like to? have such a different story told and be the person there. Um, okay, so the first thing I do want to say to that point is the portrait, if you take a close look, you've all had a chance to look at me real good, I hope. Um, the portrait of the sculpture is not just me. It's actually a composite image of six different faces. And really think about that, especially when you look at the gesture that the horse has, his right hoof is up which is a 
very significant symbol. Um, that symbol shows that it's in memorial to fallen, the fallen soldiers. So when we think of who is sitting atop the horse and who has, you know, the narrative of the sitter, you know, we really see why that hoof is raised in a significant gesture because it's showing us that there's many that have fallen along the way to arrive at rumors of war. So those other people that are imagined to exist inside me for the sculpture, I, I have so much reverence for it because I'm embodying people who no longer have their lives you know, and who've lost their lives in the struggle. So for me, it, it's deeply profound. It is one of the, I, I don't have words for it, I'm sorry, but it, it's, it's so beautiful, yeah. you know? Um, I question whether I will do anything greater in my life. <laughs> it could actually, it's affecting so much. Like, the way I see people look at the sculpture when it was in Times Square, it was totally moving, and the same thing is happening here. Um, people from all walks of life, you know, different countries, like never, the type of people who you would never think would even pay attention to such a thing, because maybe they don't know the history, but it's so opposite what you expect that it touches you. So for me, the idea of inclusion, the idea of change is all embodied in the spirit of rumors of war. And so for me, that. I'm just so humbled to be a part of it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the like the day you met Kehinde, or or kind of what the process was like of becoming a sculpture? I don't know <laughs> anything about what it takes to like go from, I you know where it starts or. Uh, well, typically, so like I said in the beginning, I do work with many artists as a fine art muse, and a muse is someone who lends inspiration to an artist. Um, I love using that term because to me, when you say a model, it gives this image of someone who's perfect. And mm. a muse is someone, anyone. It could be you, it could be a kid, it could be any, anybody, you know, is a muse. So that for me is really key. Um, something that is inclusive, something that is not a perfect vision, but me, you know. Um, sorry, what's your question? I got a little off. No, yeah, no. <laughs> um, so the question was, um, dang, I got caught up. I forgot the question. What was it working with Oh, when you met him. When you met him. How did you? So the day that I met Kehinde, um, like I said, we had been in talks for a while. There was maybe like a, a four-month period before I actually went to his studio. Um, but the day I got that message, I very quickly canceled everything <laughs> that I had going on because I was just like, oh, this is happening, oh my gosh. And so I went to the studio. The studio's actually in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, so short cab ride. And he asked that I bring my own garments, like bring things that meant something to me. So that day I wore these jeans that I have on. These are actually the same jeans that are represented in rumors of war. So this is like a piece of history right here. <laughs> yes, for you. They're pretty worn out though. Um, so it, it was really interesting experience because he just allowed me to be me. And he was like, I want 
you to bring yourself, and I want you to bring anything that you think can lend something to what we're gonna do. And he didn't say what, but when I got to the studio and I sat down, um, the first thing he did was he pulled out a book of Confederate sculptures, and he was like, so what do you know about the Confederacy? And then I said, well, <laughs> I know quite a bit I'm from South Carolina, and you know, we went down this whole line of conversation. And then from there, he said, well, I'm thinking of doing something like this, park size, you know, maybe you'll be on a horse. And, you know, there weren't a whole lot of talking points. He kind of gave me a rough idea of what he was going for. And that's the way he works. He works with a lot of mystery, also with scotch in his hand, which I thought was just amazingly artistic. His assistant would come out with a platter and just have the scotch ready for him, right, when he was directing me. So um, I would get up, he had this armature, and it was made to look like the saddle and the stirrups of the horse. But it was essentially a modified stool, if you can imagine what that would look like. And he works from reference, so everything was photographed, and I got into the pose that is the sculpture. That was my first pose, believe it or not. So as soon as I got up there, I was like, so, yeah, we want power, right? Like, that's power, okay. And I just kind of did something like that, and he was like, yeah, but go harder, even more. I mean, <laughs> I really craved my neck back. And he was like, oh, that's beautiful, yes, let's do it. And it was such a special moment. Like, it almost makes me tear a little bit, because it, it felt like, I don't know if you guys have ever done anything where you feel like, this, like, if you've ever had a child or something, I feel like it's the same, like, oh my gosh, like, this magic. is it. Yeah, it's magic, and I will always remember it, because in that moment, I've never felt more sure of myself, I've never felt more empowered, I've never felt more respected. It was the polar opposite of my experience when I was working heavily in the design industry. So for me, it felt like I was walking in the right direction, walking towards a path that was more true for me. Um, but that day was tremendous, and it went on for about seven or eight hours, like an eight-hour shoot. Yeah. Um, Candy likes to work in bulk. So on the days that he has you, he will say, okay, so this is one idea, this is another idea, this is another idea, and you kind of, go between those different ideas. Maybe you're in costume for one idea. Maybe you're, you know, wrapped in some like wet cloth or something <laughs> for texture. It's like there's all these different moods that he evokes and you know there's an army of assistants in the studio that move quickly and make things happen. Like they'd set up entire tableaus and take them down and then you're having a coffee before you're done with the coffee there, back with the new setup. And so everything works really fast. He works very precisely. He knows what he wants. He knows how he wants to execute it. And when you come, he really wants you to be the best version of you, but then also embody the spirit of what he's trying to evoke. And he always shares his references. He always talks to you. That was the thing that I was really struck by. I didn't think that someone who's a superstar artist like Kehinde would 
take the time for a conversation. Like, he literally sat down and was like, so tell me about yourself. You know, what are you interested in? And I got to ask him all, every question I could ever think of. Like, what was it like to work with Michael Jackson? <laughs> like, everything. I just really got a chance to nerd out with him, and I really appreciated that. Um, most interesting thing about him, though, is that he has a sword collection. And they're all, like, antique swords that he's gotten along the way. And throughout, if you look at the body of his work and you know the swords, those are all his own swords. And so he's working from life when <laughs> you see things like that. It's the elements in his work that seem fantasy tend to be real, and then vice versa. So Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess I also want to know, how do you work? So. Um, what what inspires you or what what did you bring anything else other than the clothes on your body when you came um for that that shoot that day i or a few days before because i knew about the shoot maybe a week before it was to happen so i didn't really know what it was that he wanted to do but i knew that i wanted to come with references and for my musing, I often practice the Stanislavski technique. It's a type of method acting. So you really sort of project the feeling that you want into the role that you're going to portray. So I was looking at some of my favorite sculpt sculpture references. Um, from Bernini, there is Apollo and Daphne. If you've ever seen the sculpture, it's like really beautiful. It's this swirling movement of these two figures. You have Daphne who is turning into a tree because she was shot with a lead arrow and Apollo was shot with a golden arrow. So it made him fall in love with Daphne, but Daphne was wanting nothing to do with Apollo. And so because of it, she called to her father who's the river god and asked him to turn her into a bay tree. So in the sculpture, she's kind of running away and her hair is like tossed, but her fingers are like becoming leaves and her hair is Apollo reaching, trying to grab her, and just before she turns into a tree, because if he can only touch her, then he would fall, like she would fall in love, but it doesn't happen, and she turns to a tree. So <laughs> looking at the emotion on her face, which is kind of a shocked look, and his face, which is like really yearning, I feel that. Um, another sculpture by Bernini, the ecstasy of St. Teresa, this one exists in a church, and it's in a sort of portico, where you see again Cupid with his arrow, and he's dropping this arrow into St. Teresa, but it's filling her with the love of God. So when you look at it, she's just totally like languid, and her face is like totally relaxed. So this feeling, when you look at it, it fills you with a type of pride. I love um, religious art specifically because it evokes emotion. You know, if you think of the Catholic Church and a lot of the you know, frescoes and things that dotted those churches throughout Europe, they're all made to evoke a certain spiritual feeling. It's supposed to take you to a place when you walk into the space, you're totally energized by the art in front of you. And so that's the thing that I want to look at. I always want to look at things that inspire me and fill me with a certain feeling. So just trying to get closer to the feeling that I hoped for and that pretty well? I, I would agree. I would agree. Um, that, especially when you like reenacted the, the pose there, you kind of really feel like 
Um, and when I look at the statue, I do feel pride and, and strength, which is um, not something that I get uh, with your counterparts on the, on the Monument Avenue. I did want to read, um, I don't know if you're like a religious person or like grew up in the church or, at all, or how familiar you were with the Bible verse that the title of the, the piece comes from. Um, this Matthew. 20, Matthew 24, 6. Um, the verse is, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And um, I just looked the verse up kind of just to remind myself. I did like grow up in the church. And um, yeah, does that verse mean anything to you? Like how, how do you feel? Um, do, you, do you feel like this is uh, a connection uh, for what's happening now. Um, yeah, so how do you feel about the Bible verse in particular? And I think that Bible verse, it's kind of speaking to the, the time, you know? It's speaking to the time that we live in, this time where anything can happen, you know? Um, we could go left or we could go right. I think we're really at a turning point and it's up to us. I look at what's going on right now in this current administration and I am filled with the same feelings as when I look at those sculptures on Monument Avenue, you know? I am filled with dread and pain, but I do have a weird sense of hope that we can overcome this because it's a mess that we all got ourselves into. So I think that we can turn it around, you know? Um, Yeah, rumors of war though, it it speaks to what could happen mm -hmm. and what could come, but I think it's the warning that we all need. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so what what else do you draw inspiration, um, like outside of art, like where do you, where do you draw inspiration from um, in your work, in your art? In my own work, in my art, um, I recently did a series of photographs that was, it's a series, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but it starts with a portrait of a young black male, and this is a model that I've worked with before, his name's Tariq, and he has green hair, and he's very thin and gaunt, with like strong muscles, and that's the first portrait, and then as it progressed, we built masks on him, the series is called Black Skin Shibori Mask, it's actually a play on BDSM, so this idea of social fetishism and why we fetishize the black figure, but then we ultimately don't want anything to do with it because we also draw our own narrative. So the series goes like this. There's first his image, and then as it progressed, we built these masks on him that I create. And for me, the inspiration starts with just the way people are. I look at social dynamics, that's something to me that needs to be inserted a little bit more into art. So with this series, it is a confrontation between the viewer and the artwork itself to draw your own narrative. It's like you're already going to draw your own narrative. Of course, when we see someone, we look at them, we size them up, we think we know everything about them, but you really don't, you know? And 
as the series continues, you lose more and more of the image that was so clear in the beginning as to who he was. And at one point, it even you don't know what gender he is. And that, to me, is even more strong, because why do we need to know if someone is a man? Why do we need to know if someone is a woman? Why do we need to know if someone is gay or straight or trans or what? however we define ourselves? None of that matters when you get to the bare bones of who the person is. And so this work, for me, does that, and it's really exciting. I wish I had images to show you guys of it. Um, Where can we go to find them? If you follow me on my Instagram page, um, T-A-U-P-E-Y-B-I-G-E, that's Topi Beige. Tope, Y like the letter, and beige like the other color. Um, you can go down and you'll find it. it was a series that I did with this photographer who's a good friend of mine, uh, Justin French, but he's gone on to shoot for Interview Magazine, Elle, Vogue, America, the list goes on. So it is a really exciting time that I'm in, not only for myself, not only for my work, but also for my friends creatively because all the people that I know are really establishing the world that they want to live in. And it's through their work, it's through their vision of the world, and that's all we all have, right? That's very true. Thank you so much. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just about to open it up for a few questions. This is my question. You said you walked down the monument, you saw the statues. Now, with your statue being there, what is it saying to the world, but more in particular to the young black man? What is it saying? We're here, we matter, our presence matters, and for me that's deeply important. I really hope to just share what my experience is, and that's all I hope to do through my career or through my life or through the collaborations that I decide to take on. I only want to share my experience, and I think that when you look at rumors of war, you can see the black experience. You know, you can see someone who has come up through the flames, you know, through adversity, and they're there. Even when I think of the sculpture and I think of the rips that are in my jeans, it almost illustrates the type of work you've been doing. You know, like when you have rips in your jeans, it's not just an aesthetic choice. It's actually a showing of time. Like. You need to see that time has passed in order for these genes to get to the state. So what has he gone through to get to, the, to that state that he is at? And I think the reaction I've been getting across the board is that we're here, you know, we matter. Like we're out here, we out chat. <laughs> you know? It matters tremendously. And it makes me feel good to embody that change and you know, dreads like there's everything about me represents us you know and that just makes me so happy oh, I'm sorry when is the statue being unveiled the unveiling is going to be on Tuesday at 3 3 30 yeah, okay I didn't get to you I think it's such a American juxtaposition. Um, and then what, what is your medium primarily? Like? My medium, primarily I work as an interior designer, mm -hmm. and then I'm also
also doing costume design. So the project that I was telling you about, Black Skin Should Wear a Mask, would have been a costume design styling project. Um, my creative sensibilities are all over the place, and I think that's the thing that makes me the most happy about the time that I'm in right now, is that that's being supported. You don't have to do one thing, you don't have to be one version of yourself. If you want to be a painter one day, and if you want to be a sculptor the next day, that's okay. And if you want to, you know, dance one day, and if you want to write one day, that's okay. All of those things are expressions of you, they're versions of you, and for me, I've gotten so much from exploring every aspect of myself, and I would only encourage anybody who feels inspired to do the same, because maybe somewhere along the way you'll find what you're really strong at, or you'll find that everything is really strong and you have something to share in any way that you see fit, so do that. Okay. Thank you. from photographs, like very detailed photographs. That's a large part of why the day went on for so long, because generally when I sit for artists, like if I'm posing for a class, there might be 12, and this is for sculpt, sculpting classes, there might be as many as 12, that would be a huge class, but as little as five, and I'm standing there live in the center of the room, and they're all around me with their pieces and they're moving and they're working, but it's a little invasive because they'll come up to you with calipers to measure the side of your face and like all of this stuff. So that experience was not the same for me working with Kehinde, but it, he was able to achieve what you see by way of photo photography. And a lot of um, modern artists work in that way just because it's hard to get someone to actually do what you need to do for the extended period of time. But the longest sculpt, sculpture pose that I've ever had was a month, and I was doing that pose every day, Monday through Friday, from 9 a.m. until 12. And it's in 20 minute increments, so think of that in hours. It's just tremendous amount of time to give to a project, um, but it always is worthwhile. I feel like you can't really create good art unless you put time into it. And I think the way that Kende makes the work that he does is by way of getting to know his sitters and spending time with them so that when he does go back to the work, he actually can pull out the energy from the photograph instead of the live person. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for your time. Uh, earlier you said that art makes the invisible and yes. I really um, like that quote. Um, I wanted to know, it, it seems that for you know, much of the modern age, the history has been one culture, you know, Western culture subjugating other cultures, but now we are living in a time, whether it's in you know, like Haiti or Chile or Lebanon, where those invisible portions of the world, those invisible peoples are becoming visible. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how uh, rumors of war makes those people visible and how it might also announce that, you know, the, it announces that maybe that the world that is represented by your peers on Monument Avenue is over. Well, I mean, if you even just look at the portrait, you know, the portrait is 
mostly African American, but there are other races represented in the portrait. Um, the hair, hair isn't something that's specific to African Americans, but dreadlocks is traditional for us, but they you know exist across cultures. So maybe within Middle Eastern cultures, there are people with dreadlocks. So for me, I feel like there are many versions of people represented. Um, I guess it would have to come more from that person to know if they see something, but I have friends who are Palestinian, I have friends who are Australian, I have friends who are just plain old white, and they've all felt things from it, and that to me is moving, because it's, it's a black man on a horse, you know? I think we all know the story of the black body in America, and what that means it, to see it in this place, not you know being degraded, not being broken down, being prideful, full of power. Right? It's strong. It's a mess. It's a message that you see, even if it's not you exactly. Yes. So you are from a state that was once in the Confederacy. Yes. Right. And here you are visiting the former capital of the Confederacy. And now, in a way, you are a permanent resident. Yes. <laughs> it's all very surreal, right? I bet. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty mind-blowing. But how do you, with all of that experience in mind, view your presence as our newest resident, welcome, um, as a disruption to the myth of white supremacy? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about disruption and the proximity to the daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. It's right next door. <laughs> like, I'm facing north, as all you know, monuments do, and I'm facing the Daughters of the Confederacy. It feels really strong in its message, and I appreciate the strength of the message. Um, it felt very different seeing the sculpture in the context of Times Square, even. I've had people come up to me and go, is this a Nike ad? <laughs> which speaks to the point of view. And I think art is totally subject to who is viewing it, right? So if you're in Times Square and you're seeing flashy billboards all over the place, then what's one more thing? Oh yeah, he has on Nikes. It's a Nike ad. Moving on, you know? Um, but in the context of Virginia, you really stop and you look at it and you know that it's not a Nike because you know what else exists here. And that to me is really powerful. So I think that it will fit in just fine. Um, and hopefully it will be enough to galvanize the people who are looking for change, who are looking for something else, to feel like the battle that they're fighting isn't lost, mm. you know, it's that we may win the war. Mm. Um. Um, so I read this interview with Pam Boyle today, who is a big patron of the Virginia Museum and who apparently helped pay for this. Uh, I think it's important for us to realize that Kenzie, uh, I think he probably made it for us, but it wasn't a gift for us and it wasn't a commission even. He made it because he wanted to make it and what a great statement that is. But she also threw out the words uh, the amount of money that it was over a million dollars. Did you get paid well? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? For me, 
the payment is seeing a version of myself represented. Priceless. Yeah, I mean, could you put a price tag on that? Yeah. It's quite hard. So for me, it, regardless of who the artist is, and I say this all the time to students that I know, and it's funny because in this time that I'm in, people are slowly coming to know who I am, and they're like, oh my gosh, you worked with Kehinde Wiley, and I say to them, I'm like, you're an artist. Like, you have the ability to change hearts and minds. You see the world in your own special way, so as much as you think it's great that I worked with Kehinde, I think it's great that you're working with me right now. <laughs> like, and I say it with all sincerity because their vision, their point of view is unique, and it's totally unique. And Kehinde's vision is totally unique. And I have so much respect for both, you know? To be made visible, it's what I appreciate, and I certainly can't put a price tag on that. One second, just wanted to, um, before we wrap up, and then you can be the, the last question, um, what do you have a message for, you know, we, there, I think the positive definitely outweighs any sort of negative, but um, we still face, we're still in the battle, right? We're still fighting the war. Very much so. Um, and so, do you have a message for people who, um, are continuing, attempting to continue the, the legacy of like um, white supremacy and uh, who take offense <laughs> to uh, you being on that street. Um, do you have a message for, for them? And uh, what is it? Have you seen The Rivers of War? <laughs> <laughs> that would be my only message to them. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> there you have it. Um, how do you engage with it? What is it that you want? What's your goal? What do you want to see in the world? Why does it make you angry? Yeah, why does it make you angry? I just, I don't understand racism. I don't understand it. And it's something that I've been aware of since I was a kid. I'll never forget, I was nine years old. And my mom's somewhere here. But I told her this story, and she was like, oh, that's crazy. I, oh my gosh. But one day I was walking down the street, and there was this older white woman. She had to have been over the age of 60. But when she saw me, she just screamed the N-word at me from across the street. So when I tell you I understand racism, it's only because I've seen it firsthand. And I was a kid. I'll never be able to understand why she felt that way. And whenever I'm faced with hatred now, it feels the same. It's always like, wow, what did I do to you? Just me being in my body is what got you so riled up. And you have a body. I have a body. Like, this is why I went to fine art museums because we're all the same, really. There's very little that separates us other than I'm a man, you're a woman. You know, these are the only real differences. So it's, it's troubling to see that some people subdivide even further. You know, oh, you're white, I'm black. You're like this, I'm like that. And before you know it, it's like we're different for no real reason. So for me, it's important to always remember that love conquers all, 
you know, hatred will get us nowhere. You know, um, America has a really tough past to combat, but I think that if we lean on our hardest, if we elect good politicians, if we care for our fellow man, the world can be a better place. I love each and every one of you in here, not because you're just here to hear me talk, but because you're here and you're a part of breathing the spirit of change that we need more of in America. It is so important. So I thank you all for the time and the attentive listening. And um, when you when you just shared your story about when you were nine in, in Charleston, um, it reminded me about actually maybe three months ago, I was one block over from where your statue is now at the Barnes and Noble, and uh, some guy in a pickup truck screamed the N word out over and over again in front of police at a woman who was like they were both in cars, and you know it just it just kind of stops you. I don't know how other people feel who are like um, not black when they kind of hear that word, but the fear that just kind of like stops you is, um, you know, like you don't even put the connection that you're like one street over from these Confederate monuments and that's right. happening, right? But I think, um, you know, it really, driving by Monument Avenue and seeing, seeing you um, really embody that, that power, um, bringing all your black experiences and your just human experiences um, to tell a different story is, is uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, we're very excited to be able to see you every day for the, for the, the next 100 years. So um, thank you so much for coming. And I know you had, a, was it a quick question? It, it was a quick question. I'm really fascinated by the matte black surface on the sculpture. And I'm wondering if you knew how that choice was made. I don't. That's, That's like okay. an amazing <laughs> question for Kehinde. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I would like to know more about Yeah, but they have, and actually, the second part, I'm really fascinated by this. What, I'm from New York, I grew up in New York, and coming here, and I hardly ever heard about the Civil War growing up. It was more Holocaust than Civil War. So there's a cultural, um, you know, I'm here in the stats and now I know more about right. all, all of the Civil War. So I'm wondering, being in South Carolina as a black male and then moving into New York City, do you feel more free? Do you feel less discrimination? You know what? There is a different type of racism that exists in the North versus the South. And it, to me, is a bit more passive in its aggression. Um, passive in the sense that you might be sitting down at dinner in someone's house, and then before you know it, the conversation has, shift, have, has shifted into something that is off the rails, and now you're in their house, and now you know how they feel, and it's too late. But in the South, they call you on the street. And that's almost preferred, you know? Because I know where we stand, if that's how you feel. I don't prefer to be in the snake's pit. Thank you. Um, so we have had a great time. We are, I think we have like a few minutes just to, there's also the gallery if you need to walk around. But yeah, you're, you're 
here to talk and chat a little bit. Yeah, I would love to meet everybody if you want to come say hello. Yeah. Don't be shy. <laughs> Thank you all. After Najee and Jasmine wrapped up, they spent some time with the guests. And let me tell you, these are two of the coolest people. Najee made time for every person who lined up to talk to him, including me. As you can imagine, it was a pretty eager crowd. But thanks so much to Jasmine, everyone got a chance to ask questions, share their thoughts, and of course talk to the muse himself. We're grateful to both of them for allowing Race Capital to share their conversation. But before I let you go, a bit of news. Race Capital is beefing up our Patreon. It's there, online. Just putting that out there. All right, listeners, 2020 awaits us, and we've got this. We'll catch you next week. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the M, the O, the N, the D. That's my